today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. I think for so many Christians, we walk around unaware of the benefits of being in Christ as we should. We understand kind of the basics. Okay, we're justified, which is amazing. We're justified by faith in Christ, no wrath of God. We have a new eternal future. That's amazing. But we forget about all of these other benefits. And we're going to look at one of these benefits that I think is so often overlooked by Christians this morning. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Do you completely understand the benefits that you have in Christ? This is the question that Pastor Ricky will be posing throughout this teaching. Many believers have no problem understanding that they're justified and that they're going to heaven. However, they don't completely understand the fact that sin no longer has dominion over them. One of the greatest benefits in Christ is not just being saved from hell, but having the power to be saved from living in sin here on earth. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 for our message entitled, Holiness in Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be reading in verse 15. And you know, it's interesting this week, I, I was uh, listening to a story about whether or not people get their money's worth out of college tuition. In other words, they were looking at some of the most expensive schools that are out there and looking at how much you're paying in tuition and looking at, basically, are you actually getting your money's worth out of the college? And it was funny because they, they sort of discovered two things. First, that if you just show up and go to class, you probably are not getting your money's worth. I don't know if that's discouraging if you're a UTEP student or something, but if you just show up and go to class, they looked at all of the expenses and what your tuition's paying for, and they said, yeah, basically it's not really worth it. But if you use all of the benefits that are available to you as a university student, it's totally worth it. And they were pointing out things like if you're an undergraduate, you, you have the opportunity to be involved with graduate research or uh, use the labs for your projects or um, take advantage of, of professors, even visiting professors, um, take advantage of various, I mean, this is exactly what happened to me when I went to UTEP. I was a UTEP student, uh, proud alumni, and I, I think for the first two years of, of being a student there, did not understand the stuff that I was allowed to do because I was a student. So I just kind of showed up and went to class and went home. And, and it was like the third year or something, I discovered, I don't know where I found this list or something of other things you can get for being a student. So I found out that we had like a gym and it was like a nice gym. And I found out because I was about to pay like 40 bucks a month to go to EP Fitness or something. And I have like a nicer gym for free. So that was pretty cool. I found out you could get to a bunch of sporting events for free or for like super low cost. I found out that I'm terrible at math and there are actually people that are paid to help me pass my math class, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, I found out that there was a row of Macs that sit in the back of the library that you could do video editing on or whatever you want to do that I didn't even know about. And so it was funny. My third year of being a student, I suddenly discovered all of these benefits just 
random wide-ranging benefits. I got, I got uh, discounts at restaurants. And th- I mean, and I was just like, wow, I, somebody should have told me about this when I first, they should have a class. Like, here are all the things you can do now. I got to go see movies for free. I mean, it was, it was, I felt like a kid on Christmas. Like, hey, this is actually pretty cool. There's lots of things. Well, The reason that relates to our text this morning is that I think for so many Christians, we walk around unaware of the benefits of being in Christ as we should. We understand kind of the basics. Okay, we're justified, which is amazing. We're justified by faith in Christ, no wrath of God. We have a new eternal future. That's amazing. But we forget about all of these other things. Benefits, And we're going to look at one of these benefits that I think is so often overlooked by Christians this morning. And it comes in a funny place in the book of Ephesians. So let's begin reading in verse 15. This is God's word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's Word. Well, up front, I'm going to let you know that because of our short time this morning, I'm going to focus most of my attention, most of our attention on verse 15 because uh, I think we're familiar with some of the other concepts in this passage, but this, this, this kind of strange command to be filled with the Spirit that comes right in the middle of a section on holiness catches us off guard. And I want to highlight one of the benefits of being in Christ that we so often miss. This command comes at a section where Paul is talking about how we're to live in Christ. Um, Many Christians, I think, assume that, that, okay, um, I I understand how to live in Christ generally. I understand uh, I was saved and now I'm just supposed to do this stuff, right? I'm supposed to not sleep with people that aren't my spouse. I'm supposed to not lie. I'm supposed to do good things, et cetera, et cetera. I get it. I get it. But we miss this command that's kind of hidden in Chapter 5, to be filled with the Spirit. Now, a few things about this command. First, notice that it is actually a command. That's weird to us, right? He commands us to be filled with the Spirit, which is funny for me because I don't walk around feeling that command. I walk around feeling, don't lie, right? Don't commit adultery, but I don't feel the command, be filled with the Spirit. That doesn't weigh on me, but it should. It's also... A continual command. Uh, the, the original language here carries kind of a continuous force. So many commentators say that the best way to sort of translate this is that it, it should probably actually be be filled continually with the Spirit. Not that you're looking for once to be filled, but you're to be filled continually with the Spirit. And it is a command to actively be passive. Okay, here's what I mean by that. The real actor is who? The Spirit. The Spirit is the one filling you, right? Well, the command is to you, though, in essence, to stand there and be filled, which is kind of a strange command, right? It's, it's, it's not fill yourself with the Spirit. It's be filled by the Spirit. 
So, what does this mean? This is such a strange command, but it is a command, so we need to figure out what we are supposed to do, right? Well, we're going to answer three questions this morning. First, why do Christians need to be filled with the Spirit? Second, how do I obey this command to be filled with the Spirit? And third, how can I tell if I'm being filled with the Spirit? And all of that, I'm going to kind of base around one big idea, and it's this, that being in Christ, which is our theme of the book of Ephesians, being in Christ means being brought into a Spirit-filled life. It's not separate from being in Christ. If you are in Christ, you've been brought or should be brought into a Spirit-filled life. So first question, why do Christians need to be filled by the Spirit? Well, to answer this question, let's, let's real briefly rewind in the book of Ephesians and see what else the book of Ephesians says about, being, about the Spirit. Now remember that the, the big theme of Ephesians is being in Christ. The whole first half of the letter is Paul yelling at us about what's happened because we're in Christ. It's all about who we were. We were cut off from God. We were alienated from God. We were, as Paul says, without hope and without God in the world, which is a pretty desperate situation. We were dead, but in Christ, we've been made alive. That Jesus was our substitute. He died in our place. He bore our alienation. He bore God's wrath for us so that if we believe in him, all of the things that happened to Jesus, it would be as if those things happened to us. So his life of righteousness was counted as our life of righteousness. His bearing of the punishment that we deserve, that was counted as, hey, we've already borne our penalty. And the new life that he was raised to, that is what we're brought into as Christians. But there's this other benefit that we haven't talked a lot about that kind of runs through the book of Ephesians, and that's that when we're in Christ, we are also brought into a spirit-filled life. Look at um, Ephesians. We're going to flip around just a little bit here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Read this verse with me. I want you to see this. 1.13 says this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So what, what, he, what he's saying is that at the very moment you came to faith in Christ, you were sealed with the Spirit. Something happened to you. You were given the Spirit who then is a guarantee of all of the benefits that you're going to receive one day in eternity. So then the question is, well, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? So we're sealed until as kind of a guarantee, but why do we have the Spirit now? Is it just to be sealed? Well, no. Paul goes on. Look at chapter 2, verse 22 with me. In chapter 2, Paul's talking about the, the work of, of being brought into Christ together as a church, as a body. And verse 22 says this, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the Spirit comes to us when we, are, when we come to faith in Christ and the Spirit is doing something. So the Spirit is doing something, not just us individually, but kind of us corporately. It's building us together into a dwelling place for God. So why is, you know, the question is, well, why is the Spirit doing that? Does, does the Father just love architecture? And so that's sort of his hobby. Hey, I'm going to build these people. I saved them. I'm going to kind of build them together into a cool shape. No, yeah, that that 
comes together in chapter 3. So look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. And I'm making you flip there because I want you to see this for yourself. So Paul is praying, chapter 3, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then, verse, then he prays a bunch of things, but, but remember that the main prayer is that, that you would be strengthened with power in your inner being. And he finally tells you the purpose of that in verse 19. So skip down to verse 19. He's praying that you'd be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. Christ, in Christ, when we believe in him by faith, we're brought into being part of Christ and Christ gives us the spirit and he gives us the spirit to build something, to do something, to make us into a dwelling place for God. And why does he make us into a dwelling place for God? So that we could be filled individually and as a church with all of the fullness of God. That's the purpose of the spirit's work so that Christ may dwell more and more and more in us, that we would look more and more and more like Jesus, that we would become what God's purpose for us is in Christ, that we would look more and more and more like Jesus, that we would be his body. Now, here's what's amazing. In Christ, the separation we had between us and God is torn away. And the Spirit's work is, in essence, to close the gap between us and God. That we used to have our sin as a barrier between us and God. And, and now that's been removed. And the spirit has been given in essence to help us close the gap experientially to what is already true theologically. That there's no separation between us and God. But the spirit brings us together with God. That, that God would dwell with us in all of his fullness. This command, actually, to be filled with the Spirit is the culmination, in many ways, of redemptive history. It is the, one of the reasons for which Christ died. He died to remove this barrier, not just so that, okay, well, now kind of on a legal level, we, we and God, we're okay, okay, we're good, us and God. No, the Spirit's work, then, is to take what's true legally and bring us together so that God is actually dwelling in our hearts by faith and dwelling in the church. Now, that's amazing. It's amazing that Paul actually says that one of the benefits of being in Christ is that we're brought into this spirit-filled life. Now, the question then is, what what does a spirit-filled life look like? Well, the short answer is it looks like Jesus' life. See, the the Spirit's work is to bring us into the life of Jesus, the life of Christ. And in the Old Testament, there were these wonderful promises that one day God's people would be filled with the Spirit. But in the Old Testament, what what does that look like? Well, it's a person here, a person there. The, The Spirit comes on this person to enable them to do something. The Spirit comes on this person to anoint them to do something. But it's it's sporadic. But there's There are promises and prophecies that one day that the Spirit's work is just going to wash over the people of God. That that everybody from young men to old men would be filled with the Spirit. And Jesus arrives, and what we see in Jesus is the picture and the model of all of the prophecies that have been leading up to this. 
And uh, there's some verses on the screen I'm going to work through, but I'm just going to, I just want to show you something because I think that many Christians just assume that Jesus in his life on earth, he was fully God and fully man, and he just sort of did it. He just sort of obeyed. He just sort of uh, put away sin. And they forget that Jesus' life was a life filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. So when we're called to be filled with the Spirit, we're called actually to the life that Jesus lived when he was here. And so look at this, just a few examples in the life of Jesus, of his relationship to the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit for life and mission. In Luke 3.22, when the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So the Spirit empowers Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus was filled and led by the Holy Spirit, Luke 4.1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus begins his public teaching ministry empowered by the Spirit. Look at Luke 4.14-15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. Look at Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to advance the gospel in word and deed. He stands up in Luke 4 and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he's quoting Isaiah 61 and saying, This is me. I am empowered by the Spirit to do these things. Jesus also worshipped under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, 21 says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So here's the point I want you to see. Jesus lived his life full of the Holy Spirit. That he was, as our model, a man dependent on the Spirit and living life in the Spirit. And he, above all, obeyed this command to be full of the Spirit continually. And this was possible because there was no separation between him and the Spirit. No sin, no, no wrongdoing. And yet, for us, we should never experience that life right? This should be something that Jesus experienced because there was nothing separating him from God, that the Spirit could work through him because, you know, there was no sin, no separation, no, no wrongdoing in any, but us, we should never be able to experience the life of the Spirit because on a day-to-day basis, our sin would separate us from God. Our, our body of sin would separate him from God. There's no way that God could dwell in us fully because He has to stand apart from us because of our sin. Well, what Jesus did on the cross is he went to the cross. He suffered and died. He was cast out. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that the separation could be removed. So that the gap could be closed and so that we could be filled with the Spirit. And he tells his disciples he's not going to leave them as orphans, but he's going to send the Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So here's what I want you to see, okay? I know that was a little theological. The rest of this is going to be more practical, but here's what I want you to see. This is really, really important. If we are in Christ, we're brought into the Spirit-filled life of Christ. So that this has kind of an encouraging and a challenging side to it, okay? Encouraging side, it's amazing that we're brought into Jesus' life and his relationship with the Spirit. It's amazing that we get to relate to the Spirit the way Jesus did. 
Not the way that Old Testament believers did where every once in a while somebody would be filled, somebody would be filled. No, we're brought in together as a church into the life of the Spirit. That's ridiculous. We don't deserve that. We didn't earn that, and that's grace. But there's a challenge to it, which is this, that if Jesus lived his life dependent on the Spirit, what makes us think that we can do it by ourselves? See, this command to be filled continually by the Spirit is given to people that need the Spirit. Paul is telling us to be filled for our own good because Paul, I'm sure, is thinking, look, unless you're more spiritual than Jesus and Jesus lived his life full of the Holy Spirit, then, well, if you're more spiritual than Jesus, then just don't worry about it. You're good. Anybody else? Yeah, you're going to need this, (laughs) which is why he commands us to do it. So, second question is this. How can I obey the command to be filled with the Spirit? Now, this is very practical from here on out, and I hope this is helpful. I'm just trying to make this as simple as possible. But before I do that, I just have to make one qualification because I know that the the nerds, which we love here, that we love the theology nerds, they're going to ask the question, well, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible speak of two different types of filling in the New Testament? And I would say, yes, sir, you are correct. Um, Dr. Sam Storm said that there's sort of two different types of filling in the New Testament. Uh, There are texts which describe people as being full of the Spirit as if it were a condition or a consistent quality of, of the Christian. And then there are texts which describe people as being filled with the Spirit for a specific uh, task or service or ministry. Okay? So they're filled with the Spirit in order to, to prophesy or to preach the Bible or to write Scripture or something. Th- that's a second, more particular, empowering for a specific task. But the New, the New Testament also speaks of this general, continuous filling. And so that's the first one. That's what we're talking about. Okay? We're talking about the general, continuous filling of the Spirit. Now, all of these commands, all of these ways that we apply the command to be filled with the Spirit, you have to remember are dependent actions. Um, if you have or know a little a child, right, a toddler or something, um, many times kids are convinced, especially when they're learning to walk, that they can do it by themselves and that they can get all the way across the room by themselves. But what you know as a parent is unless they hold your hand, unless they hold on to you, unless they hold on to a table, they're not going to get that far, right? <laughs> they, I mean, they, I remember look at the look in my son's face as he's learning to walk and he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go over there and touch that thing. And he, and I, you know, I put my hand out, come on, Bubba, let me help you. And he goes, huh, you know, and of course the guy's walking like a drunken sailor and and, and, of course, the, my, my little guy's case, he, he weighs like a half ton. And so any leaning just keeps going, and boom, he's down. And the only way he really made progress is first holding my hand, holding a table, learning to be dependent in order to get across the room. Well, in the same way, these are, these are areas where we're tempted to go, Lord, I don't need your help. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, I, I need to help you. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses from Ephesians speak to who we are in Jesus and how we became one of his. Pastor Ricky will be taking us through the book of Ephesians, seeking the answer to the question, who am I? For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.